You are listening to the weekly sermon from the Canton United Methodist Church in Canton, South Dakota. We're a church that strives to make disciples of Jesus Christ who make a difference. To learn more, visit us at cantonsdumc.org. And now, here's Pastor Clay. Our scripture this morning comes to us from two different places. First, from the Gospel of Luke in chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. This is Jesus' version of the Lord's Prayer in Luke's Gospel. And I invite you to page 97 uh, to, on your pew Bibles or to follow along with the screen as we hear this reading this morning from God's Word. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. Jesus said to them, when you pray, say this, Father, may your holy name be honored. May your kingdom come. Give us day by day the food that we need. Forgive us of our sins, for we forgive everyone who does us wrong. And do not bring us to hard testing. And we're going to jump into the Old Testament in uh, the book of 1 Chronicles 29, uh, verse 11, which is on page 472 of the Old Testament of your pew Bibles or on the screen for you this morning as well. David says in praise to God, You are great and powerful, glorious, splendid, and majestic. Everything in heaven and on earth is yours, and you are king, supreme ruler over all. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Holy and gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you. For you, O God, are our rock, and you are our redeemer, and we give you thanks for who you are as we say together, Amen. As we reached the end of a course I took in college called Introduction to the Bible, which was the first required theology course for all University of Sioux Falls students, Dr. John Higgle, my advisor and uh, our professor for that class, invited us into a lecture called Ethical Decisions in Morally Gray Areas. And the entire lecture was based on some ideas of the Apostle Paul because there are places in Paul's letters where he says, he admits, he confesses, I don't have a command from the Lord on this, but I'm going to give you my opinion anyway. Which leaves room for us to ask questions about what it means to live out a life of faith. So we got to that portion of the letters, and before that lecture happened, Dr. Higgle invited us as students to write down any question that we had about living a life of faith or any question about the Bible that we would then have him answer in the course of this lecture. And he did it about a week or a week or two before the lecture started to give us time to think about it, to you know, let the, some ideas percolate. And then he also was able to organize all of our questions into categories so he wasn't answering the same question over and over and over again. What Dr. Higgle was doing was providing space for us to ask a very smart Christian questions that we had had in the back of our minds in the safety of a classroom and under the cover of anonymity. And before I tell you what I wrote down in that class that day so long ago, I want to remind you of one thing, and that's that I'm a church nerd and I come by it naturally. And two, I want you to know that I know that I fundamentally misunderstood the assignment. You got that in mind? I know that I know. 
The day of that class came, the day of the lecture came, and like I said, Dr. Higgle had organized these questions into categories, and as he read the first couple questions, I became even more and more convinced that I asked of the wrong question. Because most of the questions started off by asking, how many of a certain type of beverage can I consume before it is a sin? Or, what can and can I, can I not do on a first date? Or is it technically a sin to fill in the blank? Or can I still do the following and still call myself a Christian? These are the kinds of questions that Dr. Higgle was expecting. I wrote down this question. Where did the end of the Lord's Prayer come from? It's not in the words that Jesus gave it, so why should I say it? Fundamentally misunderstood the assignment. This is not a question that Dr. Higgle was expecting, and fair play to him for taking the question in the first place, because he did answer it, but I know that this was not a question that he wanted to answer or a question that he expected on that day. But how many of us have wondered the same exact thing? How many of us have had this question in the back of our minds? Where is it that we get these words from the, la from the last phrase of the Lord's Prayer? And while we ponder those possibilities, Scott, can I have you go to that next slide and put the words on the screen? Let us say these words together. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So what I learned from Dr. Higgle that day on that class is that the end of the Lord's Prayer is actually not in the Lord's Prayer as Jesus taught it in the Gospels, but rather it comes from our Old Testament reading. It comes from 1 Chronicles 29, verse 11. And like I mentioned to the kids, these are the words of David as he is consecrating all of the gifts that Israel gave in order to build the temple in Jerusalem. David had made this large financial gift and called on the Israelites to give faithfully. And on that day, in that place, in 1 Chronicles, all of the people gathered together with all of their gifts and they were united as a nation and they were saying to God, we are going to build this temple. And David was so moved to praise because the people gathered their gifts together and they gave thanks to God together and they acknowledged that all that they possessed, all that was gathered there on that day, belonged to God in the first place. And so in expressing this praise that David had, David was expressing his own heart to God. David was expressing his thankfulness to God for being David's inspiration and being the inspiration behind Israel's faithfulness. And David was with the nation stating their intention to build a permanent place to worship God by acknowledging how important God is. And like I said, this is the fulfillment of a lifelong dream that God gave to David in the first place, and now it was coming to pass. And it was a huge step of faithfulness for the people of God because the only reason why they had survived or thrived up until that point was because of God in the first place. 
On that day, they were acknowledging that it was God who was with them throughout their history. It was God who was with them in the wilderness. It was God who had provided for their needs. It was God who had led them in paths of righteousness for God's own name's sake. And finally, here are the people of God responding in faithfulness, responding in praise to build this permanent space to worship God. And it all moved David to proclaim these words of praise. These words of praise that were adapted by the early church. When I asked Dr. Higgle that question so long ago, in that class a long time ago, I got the answer of where did the end of the Lord's Prayer come from? It comes from 1 Chronicles 29. But the question remains, why? Why would we add this to the Lord's Prayer? Why add something to something that Jesus gave us in the first place? These are the words of Jesus Christ. Do they really need an addendum? Kind of. In Luke's Gospel, when Jesus is giving the Lord's Prayer, Jesus is well on his way to Jerusalem. Jesus is looking, not like looking forward to it, but he is looking towards the cross that awaited him in Jerusalem. And appropriately, Jesus ends the prayer that he gives his disciples on a somber note concerning a time of trial and rescue from an evil one. But by the time the early church started to use this model of prayer, their experience was different. Their experience had changed. Because not only had the early church experienced the death of Jesus on the cross, but they'd also experienced the resurrection. They'd also experienced being tasked with the responsibility to spread the good news of Jesus' life and the new life that is possible because of him. And so they felt compelled to add this word of triumph, this word of victory, this word of praise. Because the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is worth these words being prayed over and over and over again. For God, thine is the kingdom, and thine is the power, and thine is the glory forever and ever. What was happening is that the early church was feeling what David felt on that day. A profound sense of gratitude for God's goodness and God's faithfulness to the point that they felt the need to name that all glory and honor and power belonged to God. The early church was feeling this gratitude. The early church was feeling this energy. And it made sense to add these words. And it makes sense for us to keep saying them, doesn't it? What I find so interesting is that the end of the Lord's Prayer hearkens us back to the beginning of the Lord's Prayer. Because the Lord's Prayer begins with this desire for us to make God's name great, to allow God's name to be hallowed. And then we pray bold words acknowledging God's rule in almost every other single element of our lives. And then we end in praise. Praise to the God that makes all of it possible in the first place. Yes, the Lord's Prayer closes by returning our focus to God. And that happens all through the prayer. 
In the Lord's Prayer, we pray for God's name to be made great, even above our own names being made great. For God's will and God's kingdom to come and be done over and above our will and our kingdom. To acknowledge God providing sustenance, to acknowledge God forgiving our sins, to acknowledge God leading us. Time and time again, this prayer takes our attention off of us and helps us to focus on God. The God whom we seek to glorify with every fiber of our being in the same way that David did and the same way that the early church did. And that matters because what we find is that when we find ourselves more focused on heaven, we end up more inspired on earth. When we find ourselves more focused on a God in heaven, we find ourselves more inspired on earth. In his book, The Great House of God, author Max Licato shares a story of a sociologist that accompanied a group of mountain climbers on an expedition. And the sociologist pointed out a bunch of stuff that he noticed, but among those was an observation of a correlation between cloud cover and contentedness. The sociologist wrote that when the clouds were clear, when the peak of the mountain was in view, when the people could see their goal, they were energized and cooperative. But when the clouds covered them and they couldn't see the top of the mountain and they didn't know what they were doing or why they were doing it, they were sullen. And the same thing can happen to us. When our attention gets taken off of God, we can become like grumbly and we can shut down. But when our attention is where it needs to be, when our attention is on God, we're energized. We're excited. We're put to God's purposes and we're put to God's use and we give God the praise that God deserves. And so, yes, this prayer changes us because it shifts our focus. It pulls our attention off of ourselves and onto a God. This prayer changes our priorities, changes our perspectives, and quite frankly challenges us if we let it. So as we continue to be people of prayer, as we continue to pray these words week after week, may we pray with a new focus, with a renewed fervor, and may we pray with our eyes on God and less on ourselves. Because after all, to God is the glory and the kingdom and the power forever. Amen. Would you pray with me? Loving and gracious God, we again just give you thanks for the way that you care for us, the way that you provide in tangible ways and then also in intangible ways the way that you provide hope with the future, excitement and celebration. You provide for our physical needs. And when we don't know how to pray, you give us words. Let these words that Jesus himself have given to us mean the world to us. Let us cling to them. Let us focus on them. Let us draw our hearts around them. Let us not pray them half-heartedly, but let us with our whole hearts confess you in our lives, you in every aspect of our lives, and may we give you all of the glory that you so richly deserve for the way that you lead, the way that you move, the way that you guide, the way that you are. 
our God. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon from the Canton United Methodist Church. Join us in person or online at 10 o'clock every Sunday morning for worship. And now go in peace and serve the Lord. I want to encourage you after the message to head over to our YouTube channel and click the subscribe button. Over on YouTube, you will find videos of our entire worship service, a video cast of our weekly Cut for Time conversation with Pastor Clay and Eric, songs from our praise band One Way Up, and a bunch of other great things as well. Just search for Canton United Methodist Church. It would mean a lot to have you subscribe.